0: Letter twenty four of Clarissa Harlow Volume two This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlow Volume two by Samuel Richardson. Letter twenty four. Miss Howe to Miss Clarissa Harlow Thursday morning. I will now take some notice of your last favour, but being so far behind hand with you, must be brief in the first place as to your reproofs thus shall i discharge myself of that part of my subject is it likely think you that i should avoid deserving them now and then occasionally when i admire the manner in which you give me your rebukes and love you the better for them and when you are so well entitled to give them for what faults can you possibly have unless your relations are so kind as to find you a few to keep their many in countenance but they are as kind to me in this as to you for i may venture to affirm that any one who should read your letters and would say you were right would not on reading mine condemn me for them quite wrong your resolution not to leave your father's house is right if you can stay in it and avoid being Solmes's wife i think you have answered Solmes's letter as i should have answered it will you not compliment me and yourself at once by saying that was right you have in your letters to your uncle and the rest done all that you ought to do you are wholly guiltless of the consequence be it what it will to offer to give up your estate that would not i have done you see this offer staggered them They took time to consider of it. They made my heart ache in the time they took. I was afraid they would have taken you at your word, and so but for shame and for fear of Lovelace I dare say they would. You are too noble for them. This, I repeat, is an offer I would not have made. Let me beg of you, my dear, never to repeat the temptation to them. I freely own to you that their usage of you upon it, and Lovelace's different treatment of you, in his letter received at the same time, would have made me his past redemption. The deuce take the man, I was going to say for not having so much regard to his character and morals as would have entirely justified such a step in a clarissa persecuted as she is i wonder not at your appointment with him i may further touch upon some part of this subject by and by pray pray i pray you now dearest friend contrive to send your betty baines to me does the coventry act extend to women know ye the least i will do shall be to send her home well soused in and dragged through our deepest horse-pond i'll engage if i get her hither that she will keep the anniversary of her deliverance as long as she lives. I wonder not at Lovelace's saucy answer, saucy as it really is. If he loves you as he ought, he must be vexed at so great a disappointment. The man must have been a detestable hypocrite, I think, had he not shown his vexation. Your expectations of such a Christian command of temper in him, in a disappointment of this nature especially, are too early by almost half a century in a man of his constitution. But nevertheless I am very far from blaming you for your resentment." I shall be all impatience to know how this matter ends between you and him, but a few inches of brick wall between you so lately, and now such mountains, and you think to hold it? Maybe so. You see, you say, that the temper he shewed in his letter was not natural to him, wretched creepers and insinuators, yet when opportunity serves, as insolent encroaches. This very hickman, I make no doubt, would be as saucy as your lovelace if he dared. He has not half the arrogant bravery of the other and can better hide his horns that's all but whenever he has the power depend upon it he will butt at one as valiantly as the other if ever i should be persuaded to have him i shall watch how the obsequious lover goes off and how the imperative husband comes upon him in short how he ascends and how i descend in the matrimonial wheel never to take my turn again but by fits and starts like the feeble struggles of a sinking state for its dying liberty all good-natured men are passionate says mr lovelace a pretty plea to a beloved object in the plenitude of her power as much as to say greatly i value you madam i will not take pains to curb my passions to oblige you methinks i should be glad to hear from mr hickman such a plea for good nature as this indeed we are too apt to make allowances for such tempers as early indulgence has made uncontrollable and therefore habitually evil but if a boisterous temper when under obligation is to be thus allowed for what when the tables are turned will it expect you know a husband who i fancy had some of these early allowances made for him and you see that neither himself nor anybody else is the happier for it the suiting of the tempers of two persons who are to come together is a great matter and there should be boundaries fixed between them by consent as it were beyond which neither should go and each should hold the other to it or there would probably be encroachment in both to illustrate my assertion by a very high and by a more manly as some would think it than womanly instance if the boundaries of the three estates that constitute our political union were not known and occasionally asserted what would become of the prerogatives and privileges of each the two branches of the legislature would encroach upon each other and the executive power would swallow up both but if two persons of discretion you'll say come together ay my dear that's true but if none but persons of discretion were to marry and would it not surprise you if i were to advance that the persons of discretion are generally single Such persons are apt to consider too much, to resolve. Are not you and I complimented as such? And would either of us marry if the fellows and our friends would let us alone? But to the former point, had Lovelace made his addresses to me, unless indeed I had been taken with a liking for him more than conditional, I would have forbid him, upon the first passionate instance of his good nature, as he calls it, ever to see me more. Thou must bear with me, honest friend, might I have said, had I condescended to say anything to him, and hundred times more than this. Begone, therefore! I bear with no passions that are predominant to that thou hast pretended for me. But to one of your mild and gentle temper it would be all one, were you married, whether the man were a loveless or a hickman in his spirit. You are so obediently principled, that perhaps you would have told a mild man that he must not entreat, but command, and that it was beneath him not to exact from you the obedience you had so solemnly vowed to him at the altar.' I know of old, my dear, your meek regard to that little piddling part of the marriage-vow, which some prerogative monger foisted into the office, to make that a duty which he knew was not a right. Our way of training up, you say, makes us need the protection of the brave. Very true. And how extremely brave and gallant is it that this brave man will free us from all insults, but those which will go nearest to our hearts, that is to say, his own. How artfully has Lovelace, in the abstract you give me of one of his letters, calculated to your meridian— Generous spirits hate compulsion! He is certainly a deeper creature by much than once we thought him. He knows, as you intimate, that his own wild pranks cannot be concealed, and so owns just enough to palliate, because it teaches you not to be surprised at any new one that may come to your ears. And then truly he is, however faulty, a mighty ingenuous man, and by no means an hypocrite, a character the most odious of all others to our sex in a lover, and the least to be forgiven were it only because when detected it makes us doubt the justice of those praises which we are willing to believe he thought to be our due by means of this supposed ingenuity lovelace obtains a praise instead of a merited dispraise and like an absolved confessionaire wipes off as he goes along one score to begin another for an eye favourable to him will not see his faults through a magnifying glass nor will a woman willing to hope the best forbear to impute it to ill-will and prejudice all that charity can make so imputable and if she even give credit to such of the unfavourable imputations as may be too flagrant to be doubted, she will be very apt to take in the future hope which he inculcates, and which to question would be to question her own power, and perhaps merit, and thus may a woman be inclined to make a slight, even a fancied merit, atone for the most glaring vice. I have a reason, a new one, for this preachment upon a text you have given me, but till I am better informed I will not explain myself, if it come out, as I shrewdly suspect it will, the man my dear is a devil and you must rather think of i protest i had like to have said Solmes than him but let this be as it will shall i tell you how after all his offences he may creep in with you again i will thus then it is but to claim for himself the good-natured character and this granted will blot out the fault of passionate insolence and so he will have nothing to do but this hour to accustom you to insult the next to bring you to forgive him upon his submission The consequence must be that he will, by this teasing, break your resentment all to pieces, and then a little more of the insult, and a little less of the submission on his part will go down, till nothing else but the first will be seen, and not a bit of the second. You will then be afraid to provoke so offensive a spirit, and at last will be brought so prettily and so audibly to pronounce the little reptile word, Obey, that it will do one's heart good to hear you. The Muscovite wife then takes place of the managed mistress and if you doubt the progression, be pleased, my dear, to take your mother's judgment upon it. But no more of this just now. Your situation has become too critical to permit me to dwell upon these sort of topics. And yet this is but an affected levity with me. My heart, as I have heretofore said, is a sincere sharer in all your distresses. My sunshine darts but through a drizzly cloud. My eye, were you to see it when it seems to you so gladdened, as you mentioned in a former, is more than ready to overflow even at the very passages, perhaps, upon which you impute to me the archness of exaltation. But now the unheard-of cruelty and perverseness of some of your friends—relations, I should say, I am always blundering thus—the strange determinateness of others, your present quarrel with Lovelace, and your approaching interview with Soames, from which you are right to apprehend a great deal, are such considerable circumstances in your story, that it is fit they should engross all my attention. You ask me to advise you how to behave upon Soames's visit, I cannot for my life. I know they expect a great deal from it. You had not else had your long day complied with. All I will say is, that if Soames cannot be prevailed for, now that Lovelace has so much offended you, he never will. When the interview is over, I doubt not but that I shall have reason to say, that all you did, that all you said, was right, and could not be better. Yet if I don't think so, I won't say so. That I promise you. Only let me advise you to pull up a spirit, even to your uncle, if there be occasion. Resent the vile and foolish treatment you meet with, in which he has taken so large a share, and make him ashamed of it, if you can. I know not upon recollection, but this interview may be a good thing for you, however designed. For when Solmes sees, if that be to be so, that it is impossible he should succeed with you, and your relations see it too, the one must, I think, recede, and the other come to terms with you upon offers that it is my opinion, will go hard enough with you to comply with, when the still harder are dispensed with there are several passages in your last letters as well as in your former which authorize me to say this but it would be unseasonable to touch this subject further just now but upon the whole i have no patience to see you thus made sport of your brothers and sisters cruelty for what after so much steadiness on your part in so many trials can be their hope except indeed it be to drive you to extremity and to ruin you in the opinion of your uncles as well as father i urge you by all means to send out of their reach all the letters and papers you would not have them see Methinks I would wish you to deposit likewise a parcel of clothes, linen, and the like, before your interview with Solmes, lest you should not have an opportunity for it afterwards. Robin shall fetch it away on the first orders, by day or by night. I am in hopes to procure for my mother, if things come to extremity, leave for you to be privately with us. I will condition to be good-humoured and even kind to her favourite, if she will shew me an indulgence that shall make me serviceable to mine. This alternative has been a good while in my head. But as your foolish uncle has so strangely attached my mother to their views, I cannot promise that I shall succeed as I wish. Do not absolutely despair, however. What though the contention will be between woman and woman, I fancy I shall be able to manage it, by the help of a little female perseverance. Your quarrel with lovelace, if it continue, will strengthen my hands, and the offers you made in your answer to your Uncle Harlowe's letter of Sunday night last, duly dwelt upon, must add force to my pleas. I depend upon your forgiveness of all the perhaps unseasonable flippancies of your naturally too lively, yet most sincerely sympathizing, Anna Howe. End of letter twenty four.